alone with a self-directed IRA. Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. On today's podcast, we're gonna be chatting about what you need to think about if you are looking to take a loan with your self-directed IRA. So on just setting the agenda for today's podcast, we'll talk about what a self-directed IRA is real quick, uh, types of loans, that you potentially can take out and then what you need to think about if you want to borrow money in connection with a self-directed IRA investment. In this podcast, I'm not going to focus on lending out money as a lender with your self-directed IRA. I can do another podcast on that subject. What I want to focus on is really as a borrower with your self-directed IRA, what you want to think about. So uh, let's get right to it. So a self-directed IRA is not a new type of IRA. It's essentially a regular IRA that was created in 1974 by ERISA that is allowed to do alternative assets like real estate or cryptos. For some reason, the traditional institutions like Fidelity, Schwab, they don't let you do alternative assets with your IRA. Not because it's not allowed, it's just they don't want you to do it. It's not part of their business model. But that has opened up the alternative asset marketplace to the self-directed IRA industry. Companies, amazing companies like IRA Financial and others have uh, taken over that niche market. And now, obviously, for the last, since ERISA, almost 40 years, have been providing alternative asset custodial services to IRA and 401k investors seeking to you know, better diversify their retirement portfolio. So there's three things, essentially, you can't do with an IRA. That's it. Life insurance, one, collectibles, two. And then thirdly, and, and more broadly, and, and really more specifically for purposes of today's podcast, Internal Revenue Code Section 4975, that in sum says, hey, you cannot do anything with your IRA that in any way directly or indirectly personally benefits you, the IRA owner, or a disqualified person. And a disqualified person is essentially a lineal descendant, so it's you, your parents, your children, your spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, or any entities 50% or more controlled by such persons. Now, as part of the rules, under 4975C, they list 1, A, B, C, D, E, and F. And as part of those subprovisions, there's a clear provision that states that you are not allowed to personally guarantee an obligation of your IRA, meaning you can't use your IRA's collateral for a personal loan, and you can't personally guarantee an obligation of your IRA. Okay, so if you want to buy real estate with your IRA and have $100,000, for example, and need to borrow $50,000 to finish your deal, you cannot get a traditional recourse mortgage and personally guarantee that loan. Why? Don't ask me. <laughs> it's in the tax code under 4975C. Uh, clearly, the IRS doesn't want you as a disqualified person in any way providing some type of indirect benefit to the IRA. And at the same time, they don't want you to be able to use your IRA's collateral for a personal loan. Essentially, I understand that area, right? Because let's say the loan goes bad, the lender takes your IRA. I get it. Uh, but here, you're trying to help out your IRA by personally guaranteeing it. it. Seems to me like that should be allowed. Maybe not the flip side, but you know, maybe vote me into Congress and I'll, I'll try to change that, get on the Ways and Means Committee or the Senate Finance Committee, and I will try to make these things happen. But as of now, we got to live by these rules. So number one, if you, if you get a loan to acquire real estate, part of a, a real uh, 
regular investment transaction, business transaction, the loan has to be non-recourse. You cannot personally guarantee it. It cannot be a traditional mortgage. You cannot get a traditional mortgage with a self-directed IRA or any type of retirement account. Why? 4975C. Okay, so that's number one. And obviously, 2020, end of 22, we're going into 23, we're in 23, rates are higher, right? It's more expensive today to get a loan than it was 6, 10, 12 months ago. So money's expensive. That is obviously impacting the real estate marketplace. We've seen that, right? You can just kind of take a stroll around your neighborhood. Uh, there's more inventory. There's no bidding wars. Prices are coming down a bit. Uh, people um, really are kind of on the sidelines because money's expensive. This is the highest interest rates we've been dealing with since pre-08. Okay, we're not used to this and we have very short memories in terms of how we were able to address a higher interest rate environment. So that's going to impact real estate. Okay, so yes, I expect that to impact self-directed real estate deals. I expect cash to be king. I think we're going to see more people doing joint venture deals saying, okay, this asset's maybe 300,000. I got 150. I don't want to borrow the money because money's too expensive. And again, if you get a non-recourse loan, you're not you're going to be paying higher points, maybe one or two more points, and you got to put down more money. In a traditional mortgage, you can get away with 10 to 20% down. With a non-recourse loan, especially in the IRA world, you're looking at 35% plus. 30 maybe, but generally they're looking 35 plus. Why? They're taking more risk and they want you to have more equity in your asset. Plus, they're going to charge you more higher points to get that deal done because the lender's taking more risk. So that's the first obstacle is it's got to be a non-recourse loan over a recourse loan. The second obstacle now is in a higher interest rate environment, money's expensive. Borrowing money is expensive which I think will open up more opportunities for joint JV deals, or maybe you and your few buddies or you and your few colleagues will just get together and do a JV. Say, hey, um, I'll put 100, you put 100, she'll put 100. We'll just 33, 33, 33 the property. I'm not going to use any leverage because leverage is expensive. And we'll, we'll hopefully get a nice solid return that way. Last thing to remember is if you're using a non-recourse loan or any type of leverage to do anything with your IRA, whether it's uh, stock investing through margin accounts or crypto investing through margin um, or, or just any other leverage transaction other than being a non-recourse loan, there's something called the unrelated business taxable income tax or unrelated business income tax, UBIT, UBTI. I call it the ugly four-letter word because it's really ugly. Um, it should not apply to IRAs. I mean, I've, I've gotten into debates with the IRS. I've gotten into debates with members of both Democrats and Republicans on the Ways and Means Committee, and they both are actually kind of surprised. They're just like, yeah, it's a good point. I don't know why it does apply, but like, hey, we got like a thousand more important things to deal with. So uh, come back to us next year. But this has been my um, kind of pet project is somehow in my lifetime trying to get the UBTI rules to not apply to IRAs since UBTI initially was put in the tax code to stop businesses like McDonald's from just setting up a charity and running their business through a charity and never paying taxes. Okay. Well, we know IRAs don't have exempt purposes, right? Like for example, if you're a hospital and you sell um, candy that can generate UBIT. Why? Because it's not aligned with your exempt purpose. Makes sense. Okay. But IRA's exempt purpose is to make money. So whether it's real estate, whether it's cryptos, whether it's stocks, 
its only purpose is to generate maximum returns for the retirement account. So there's really no unrelated purpose because it only has one purpose, which is to accumulate wealth. So it really makes no sense. Why does it apply? Because an IRA is a 501 trust and so is a charity. So it just got stuck in these rules. No one kind of thought about this in 1974 and we've been living with it for 38 years for no reason. But in any event, my point is this. If you use leverage by real estate, use margin, non-recourse loan to buy stocks or leverage to do a business deal, buy a business, the UBIT tax applies to anything more than $1,000 of net income from that investment during the year. So the highest maximum UBIT tax rate is 37%, and it's a very low threshold to get there, roughly you know, 17 or so thousand bucks. So if you have more than 17,000 bucks of net income and it's associated with the leverage, you can pay 37% on that, which is crazy. That's a super high tax rate. Considering the corporate tax rate is 21%. So, okay, what do we need to think about here? So remember I said, you need at least $1,000 in net income. The investment loses money, it's no UBIT. And in fact, you, if you file a 990T, which is where you report your UBIT, you can use the losses to offset any future UBIT income. Okay, so that's one advantage. Second advantage is with real estate, you get to take into account your share of depreciation and other de deductions and expenses. So it's only the net amount. So here's a very simple example to show you and showcase how the UBIT rules applies to a real estate deal in an IRA. You borrow 100K, you put in 100K to buy real estate. So you have a 50-50 debt to equity ratio, 50% debt, the $100,000 loan, and 50% equity, the cash. Okay, and let's say the property generates $20,000 of net income. Let's keep it simple. $10,000 of that 20,000, which equals the 50% of debt to equity, is subject to the UBIT tax, which, you know, 10,000 could be like 25% tax. Crazy. Now, a couple exemptions, a couple maneuvering here. First is if you can get into a 401k, whether you're self-employed, you can set up a solo K, or you're able to do real estate investments in your 401k plan, probably rare, but hey, under section 514c9 of the tax code, there is an exemption to get you around UBIT for the acquisition of real estate and the leverage. Okay, why does it not apply to IRAs? I've talked about this. I don't know. I, I think Congress just wanted 401ks and pension plans to have more flexibility uh, from an investment standpoint. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but it's the way it is. So um, that's a huge advantage, right? If you're a real estate lover and every real estate investor loves leverage, every smart real estate investor wants to use other people's money, right? It's all about OPM, other people's money. So obviously that's expensive today, but really for the last eight to 10 years, money's been cheap. So I've had a lot of clients jump into solo Ks, leverage up the assets like 60, 70, 80% and not pay any UBIT tax and, and hit a killing in the last eight, 10 years, like to go from 200K to like 7 million. I've had a bunch of clients go from hundreds of thousands to multiple millions just by leveraging up real estate. Now in this environment today, a little more expensive, may not be as easy, right? But getting that exemption from the UBIT tax is huge because you're getting free money and you're basically allowed to leverage it up with no tax. Now, that only applies to the acquisition of real estate. If you use leverage to buy cryptos or stocks or invest in a private business, that exemption under 514C9 does not apply. It only applies to the acquisition of real estate. Okay. How else do you get around UBIT? Well, you can structure your transaction as a debt transaction versus equity. So instead of investing in a business, I can lend the business money. 
instead of buying real estate, maybe I can lend the developer money and get a state of return. What's the downside? The downside is you get a state of return, right? You don't have an upside on the growth. Well, debt means you get a state of return. An equity investment means you get the upside. The downside is there's no state of return. Uh, you may get zero, or as a loan, you, you may get 5% a year or 8% a year. Equity investment, you get what you get at the end of the day when there's a capital event. So that's the risk, but the upside on equity is you're not capped at the state of return. Another popular uh, circumvention of UBIT is the C-Corp locker, where you set up a corp and your IRA owns a corp and the corp does the UBIT activity and the corporation pays 21%, which is less than 37%. So it doesn't reduce it to zero, but it can limit it. One way to reduce it to zero is if you are investing in a, a more sophisticated type of investment fund, hedge fund, private equity fund that uses a, a foreign blocker, like a Cayman blocker, there are, especially for, there are ways to um, zero out that UBIT tax and BVI is used for real estate where they have very favorable um, rates when you are um, sending back dividends and things like that, where you can zero out um, using BVI in real estate and then using Caymans in other um, investment enterprises. Um, but again, it costs money to do a foreign blocker, generally probably 15K to set up and probably about eight to 10 up to um, keep it going to, to maintain it on an annual basis. So you know, it's gotta make sense for you, right? If, if it doesn't, it's too sophisticated, then you know, just not gonna work. But a lot of the, the larger funds do offer foreign blockers. And for a retirement account, whether it's BVI or Cayman, it, you know, it could be very useful. So those are the important items to consider when you're thinking about using a loan and a self-record IRA. Remember, it's gotta be non-recourse. Uh, money's more expensive today. Expect 35% down, expect higher points. Um, and expect UBIT if you're going to have more than a net income of a thousand bucks. And then obviously workarounds, restructuring the investment as debt versus equity, a C-Corp blocker and uh, an offshore blocker could potentially reduce the C-Corp blocker from 21% tax to maybe even zero. So there are some workarounds. It's an ugly four letter, letter word and an ugly tax that turns in many cases, very tax efficient investments into super inefficient investments. Um, again, I, I don't think it should apply to IRAs, but it does as of today. So we got to address it. And I can't tell you how many clients I've spoken to over the last 12 years that said, oh my God, Adam, I read a blog or watched a video or listened to a pod and I'm blown away. Like I had no idea I had to be doing this. The company I use just never told me. So I'm all about education. Um, I don't want you to do an investment if it's not going to work for you. This is a an amazing industry. There's 60 million IRAs. Um, there's lots of people that want to do this stuff. But what I don't want is someone to do a deal and they end up using leverage and they come back to you in a few years and said, I now owe 37% tax. I should have done this with personal funds. It's stupid. That to me is something I never want to deal with. So I'm all about education giving people all the data they can digest, giving them the pros, the cons, right? Sometimes it is better to use personal funds. If you're going to do a deal with UBIT and you got the personal funds to do it, you shouldn't use retirement funds because that 37% tax is way higher than a 50% capital long-term capital gains tax rate. So um, I'm going to be honest with everyone. Uh, I think that's you know just been my um, go-to um, you know, quality uh, since 
I decided to be a lawyer. It's like, hey, I want to do what's right for the client. Um, there's plenty of accounts out there. Um, the most important thing is clients do well, make the right investment, and are happy with their investment decision. And uh, from a tax standpoint, as a tax lawyer, um, it's super important to me that I, I bring out all the potential tax ramifications, whether it's positive or negative. So ultimately, you as the IRA investor can make that decision on, on what makes the most sense. Right. I can, as a tax lawyer, I'm not the best investment um, you know, stock picker or um, you know, investment person, right? I, I still have all my cryptos. I, I barely sold any cryptos. So you probably don't want to be listening to me. But the other day, from a tax standpoint, I, I think I'm second to none. Uh, someone who's written eight books, uh, law degree, master's in tax law. There's not many people in the country uh, that that know more than me on, on self-directed IRAs and 401ks. So that's what I can provide you is give you all the info, all the data, so you can ultimately make the best tax decision. And when you couple that with hopefully your investment savviness, uh, you'll kill it and you'll generate massive returns in your retirement account, which you know is the end of the game for all of us. So um, appreciate you guys hanging out with me today. Um, I had a lot of fun and um, you know, just have an amazing week and uh, podcast drops every Tuesday. So I want to wish everyone a happy holidays, happy new year, and see everyone again next week. Take care.